You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Mary L. Trump is President Trump's only niece and a trained clinical psychologist. As COVID-19 continues to surge across the country, local, state, and federal officials are debating how to safely reopen K-12 schools. School districts need funds to implement social distancing measures, and teachers are calling for better testing, contract tracing, and access to personal protective equipment. In this segment, you'll hear from Alberto Cavarjo, Superintendent of Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Let's listen. Hi, welcome back to Wash Post Live. Uh, we are here to talk about the pandemic and how it's affecting public education, and we listen to experts in the field give us their thoughts on how best to respond to this issue that is occupying the minds of so many families and people connected to these families. Right now, we'd like to speak with Alberto Carvalho, who is the uh, superintendent of Miami-Dade Public Schools, which is the fourth largest school district in America, uh, just to hear his thoughts on how best uh, families and educators can respond to this issue. Thanks for having us, or thanks for coming and allowing us to have this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Eugene. Good afternoon to all. So when you first think about uh, what's happening related to the push and the insistence upon educating uh, schools, uh, students by reopening schools uh, this fall, what is your initial reaction? Well, number one, we need to uh, lead with, uh, with one priority, which is the health and well-being, not only of our students, uh, but our workforce, and recognize that uh, where we sit right now, Miami is one of the hottest COVID-19 spots in the country. So I've listened carefully to what our leaders have said, uh, whether it is guidance from the CDC, pronouncements from the White House, uh, or uh, statements from Tallahassee. And I am, uh, quite frankly, somewhat heartened that of late, uh, we've heard a slightly different message. One that says that while the country as a whole uh, may be experiencing low levels of community transmission. There are certain zip codes, there are certain uh, states or communities where the level of positivity is extremely high. Uh, And Miami-Dade happens to be one of those. So we are currently relying on a plan to reopen the schooling process based on a number of options. We have surveyed our parents, We had a very successful seamless transition during the last quarter of last year from traditional schooling uh, to online remote learning Uh, because of our level of preparedness. We had made significant investments in devices and connectivity. So we reached 100% connectivity uh, with an average of 91, 92% daily attendance. Now, I grant you, there were a number of unengaged students that we need to be very concerned with particularly those students who since that time will have gone 25 weeks without necessarily the type of support that they ordinarily would get. But we are relying right now on a very evolving uh, virus right here in our community. We're relying on scientific data uh, with a positivity rate of uh, over 18% uh, with an ICU uh, capacity exceeding 130% uh, and increased mortality statewide We are not like the rest of America. I'm sure there are a lot of districts that are at positivity rates of less than 5%, where it is absolutely appropriate to return teachers and students to school, but we are not there yet. So uh, what do the numbers need to look like uh, for you to be okay with classroom instruction resuming in a safe way? 
Well, that's uh, one of the most important questions, and it's one that, quite frankly, I'm not qualified to answer. That's why I convened a panel of distinguished uh, medical experts and public health experts, including, you know, the head of pediatrics for the University of Miami, including a former Surgeon General of the United States of America, including uh, an entity who works for a medical school for Florida International University. And they reached a unanimous uh, consensus around what the gating criteria should be. Look, let's begin with positivity rate. Uh, world uh, Health Standards uh, put that positivity rate at 10% prior to reopening schools. Uh, the original CDC guideline, as well as the original White House uh, guideline for the reopening of America's schools, uh, put it at 5%. So one of the, uh, the criteria we're following is less than 10% uh, positivity rate reaching towards 5%. Secondly, um, a 14-day decrease in the total number of hospitalizations, a 14-day consecutive day decrease in the number of uh, or the capacity of, for ICU beds in local hospitals, better, more expedited availability of testing and much faster returns, uh, better, more effective and efficient contact tracing. Uh, the reason why we need to test results must, much faster is if if it takes seven to 10 days to obtain a test result, then the effectiveness of contact tracing is not gonna be what it needs to be for us to safely reopen schools. Those are some of the metrics and criteria that, uh, that our local experts recommended to us as quite frankly, formatting uh, the basis for a safe reopening of schooling, physical schooling in Miami-Dade. When uh, reflecting on the CDC guidelines for reopening, uh, do you worry that those guidelines were, were formed or revised following pressure from the Trump administration? Look, I'm not going to necessarily get a comment on, on the, the possibility that politics influencing science. What I can tell you is that in Miami-Dade, uh, this is a community, an educational community that's guided by uh, scientific data, medical advice. Uh, I was well acquainted with the original uh, CDC guidelines. We have reviewed carefully uh, the revised CDC guidelines. Our reopening plan uh, matches uh, ably to either set. And quite frankly, the revised CDC guidelines reference uh, via links the vast majority of the original guidelines. So I think we need to use prudence, uh, need to use uh, local data, local circumstances and make decisions uh, that are reflective of local concern and the best medical advice and public health uh, uh, expert advice that we can get. So both sets of, uh, of CDC guidelines uh, provide recommendations to, to the nation, but even in the last revision, it is clear there is a mention there in districts and areas where there is substantial controlled or uncontrolled uh, community spread, decisions must be made in collaboration and informed by the local health department. And uh, as long as that flexibility is there that offers our local district to make informed decisions on the basis of conditions in Miami-Dade, rather than average conditions nationally, I think we're protecting our students and our workforce.
it's very clear that different communities are being affected differently and perhaps some are more prepared uh, to resume things than others. Um, and, and perhaps none are incredibly prepared to just go ahead as usual uh, this fall as if they would in previous years. Uh, but most recently, I believe last Friday, Governor DeSantis said on uh, Fox News that teachers in Florida were itching to get back into the classroom as soon as possible. Uh, is that what you've heard from your educators? Well, I, I think every single uh, educator that I know, every single principal, every single teacher, myself included, I think we're anxious to return kids back to schools, but when conditions are appropriate, uh, when environmental conditions in our individual uh, communities allow it to be done in a safe and responsible way. And the only way to ascertain that is by following uh, public health guidelines, medical expert guidelines, they are specific to our communities. And uh, I, I, I agree that every single educator, not only in the state of Florida, but across the country, is itching, is anxious to be reconnected with, uh, with their children. We recognize that in-person teaching, that organic exchange of cognitive ability to impact kids, but also allowing for the appropriate social and emotional development, taking into account mental health, providing all the support uh, needs that our children have. That's what every single educator wants to do, but at what risk? And uh, should we ignore local conditions? That's why, as I said, we feel here in Miami that there continues to be flexibility in the guidance for us to absolutely observe local conditions, observe the local metrics, listen to the experts and make decisions that are in the best interest of our children. Every educator wants to be reconnected with their children. However, that comes with a significant caveat. Under what conditions will there be assurances that uh, the contact tracing that's necessary, that the availability of testing and the swiftness with which uh, test results are available will be in place. So there are a number of hurdles uh, to be overcome but that does not at all negate the wish, the will that teachers and educators across America have to be reunited with their kids. And by the way, the question continues to be asked of, of, of educators. Quite frankly, the best way to return kids back to school is to have the community, uh, the communities across America, uh, observe the recommendations, maintain the social distancing, washing their hands periodically, wearing their masks. And that's very difficult to do when there are political pronouncements about wearing a mask, which is a defense mechanism that should bother no one. So to the extent that communities take these recommendations seriously and uh, the, the COVID positivity rate is lowered, the better the chance of us actually having a safe return to physical schooling. You spoke about the need for uh, school districts to have flexibility based on what's happening in their communities and also about the challenges of uh, navigating this moment, given all the political uh, pressures various parties and uh, individuals are uh, putting forward. What is it that you think uh, politicians don't understand about perhaps the challenge of educating kids in this moment regarding social distancing and often having to, you know, enforce masks and other uh, strategies to keep kids safe. What, what is it that you think lawmakers could stand to be more informed about when it comes to educating kids during a pandemic? Well, I think lawmakers uh, 
community leaders at all levels of government, quite frankly, uh, are trying to strike a balance. Uh, and sometimes it may be a fair balance, sometimes it'd be an unfair balance. And the balance is between doing what's right by kids while at the same time stimulating the economy. And, uh, and to not admit that, it's really a fallacy. Um, you know, I'm responsible for educating children. I'm responsible for their well-being. I'm responsible for their health. Uh, I'm responsible for protecting my workforce. Uh, so yes, I, I am cognizant that, uh, that the normalization of society uh, cannot be fully achieved without resuming physical schooling. But we need to question, we need to ask ourselves, what is the threshold of pain and price that we're willing to pay to reach uh, that normalization? And how quick should we be leading toward it, uh, forgetting the advice of medical experts? So what I can tell you is that uh, there should be no discussion about what medicine tells us. There should be no discussion or doubting uh, what uh, science tells us. Uh, we could have a discussion about policies, practices, but not hard scientific data that comes from experts who actually know uh, these subject matters. So, uh, you know, my urging to, uh, to elected officials is, you know, let's, let's, if nothing else, let's rally around objective data. Let's recognize that there isn't a one size fits all to reopening America's schools because not every state, not every community is at the same level of risk. There are hot spots and there are cool spots across the country. And, uh, and enforcing a one size fits all reopening plan uh, disregards local conditions. So my advice to, uh, to elected officials would be recognize the geographic differences and the environmental differences across the country, even sometimes within a state. Conditions in Miami-Dade, in the Deep South, conditions in Broward and Palm Beach counties are very different from conditions currently in the Panhandle. So the reopening plan needs to be flexible enough to allow for decisions that are reflective of environmental conditions uh, in our respective uh, regions. So earlier uh, this month, uh, President Trump tweeted that he might consider withholding funding from schools that did not reopen. Um, if you lost any funding uh, because you didn't reopen, because you didn't feel like it was safe enough to do so, how would that impact your bottom line? Look, uh, Eugene, I think uh, it'd be a, a sad day in America if, if we were to put the kids who were in crisis before the COVID crisis in greater jeopardy. And the reason why I say that is look at the type of federal funding uh, that's provided uh, across America. Uh, these are by and large uh, entitlement uh, revenues that support children in poverty through Title I, support the English language learners through Title III, support children with disabilities through IDEA. Uh, if we were to somehow starve districts uh, on a basis of decisions that were made uh, with the best interest of the students in mind. If we were to starve districts uh, from the federal funding that their children are eligible for and depend on, it would further deepen the crisis that these children face simply because of their circumstances. So it makes no sense whatsoever to me uh, to deepen the crisis for kids who were in crisis to begin with, continue to be in crisis. I am quite frankly more interested in hearing uh, the additional K-12 federal support that, uh, that needs to be approved, considering the fact that this health crisis will usher in, no doubt, 
a fiscal crisis the likes of which our nation may not yet have seen, maybe even deeper than the 2008-2009 uh, economic recession, which I lived through. Yeah, so I hope that, uh, quite frankly, a compassion and understanding prevail, and we don't engage in federal punitive uh, practices uh, by ignoring uh, local circumstances and local conditions in districts by uh, by depriving them of much-needed revenues that impact the most fragile of children in our nation. You spoke earlier about access and how uh, so many students across the country would be challenged uh, if their school districts lost funding. And I know your school district gave out like more than 119,000 electronic devices uh, since the start of the pandemic. And do you think that'll be enough? Is, is there a need for more? How do you ensure that uh, students who are in homes with limited internet access, if, if in, any access at all, uh, stay on top of their education moving forward. You know, before uh, the this pandemic really hit our shores, uh, we had been preparing. Uh, we began tracking news out of China back in January. Uh, we began building our instructional continuity plan uh, in February. By the time we shut down our schools uh, in March, not only did we have uh, an instructional continuity plan that reflected accountability, attendance, academic performance, not only had we trained teachers, but we had surveyed uh, all of our parents to understand what the critical technology needs would be at home. Did they have a device? Uh, did they have connectivity? Uh, what type of device did they have? What kind of connectivity did they have? So we had a well-informed database of information about uh, our students and our parents. That's why we very quickly were able to provide a device to every single parent that needed it. In areas where there were digital deserts, no access to Wi-Fi or internet, we provide a hotspot. So yes, 120,000 devices in addition to about 10,000 uh, hotspots uh, for parents who needed it. Uh, we have uh, continued to do our work during the summer to actually improve the experience, uh, not only the platform experience from the advantage of teachers and parents, uh, but uh, we've already have considered and are in the, in the, in the process of replacing some of the devices uh, to account for, for damage or loss. We made a critical decision to leave actually devices in the hands of the students uh, throughout the summer. Why? It provides us a portal of access to the children and their families, not only the students, but also the parents through our parent academy to begin the educational process yet again. And by the way, we're not waiting for the fall uh, to start that process because I am a believer that the academic regression, the learning loss level as a result of this pandemic, as a result of the closure of last year and then the summer is going to be uh, tremendous. Never seen anything like this. That's why we built two summer virtual experiences for students targeting those who needed the most help. And that's why we are reopening the schooling process with the most fragile children in mind. And I can assure you Miami-Dade on day one will ensure every single student is connected, every single student has a device, every single student and parent will have gone through a week-long uh, preparation program for the technology, the platform, the digital content, but also the expectations as far as attendance, accountability, and academic performance. 
So we know that different students learn differently and that students with special needs uh, were very much used to having a process in place tailored to their learning style uh, before the pandemic began. Uh, how can we ensure uh, once schools reopen that students with special needs are having their needs met educationally? So that, that's been one of the most uh, crucial, critical, and quite frankly, difficult elements of uh, remote teaching, uh, certainly last quarter. As a school system, like many school systems across America, we provided, uh, we provided supplemental materials. We provided adaptive uh, uh, applications to address the needs of students. But look, as you correctly said, an IEP varies from child to child. They do have legal rights that from a distance in many cases are difficult to meet for that very severely disabled child who requires therapy on an ongoing basis, but that very severely disabled child who requires a one-to-one -one paraprofessional. Those are very difficult services to provide via distance. Now, we continue to make adaptations throughout the summer to really uh, enhance the student experience for those who will start the new school year online and may have a disability, but we hope, depending on conditions, to supplement those online experiences, which again are personalized, they're adaptive and often supplemented with uh, additional materials. But we hope based on improved conditions that those will be the first students in line to have access to physical schooling uh, to resume some degree of normalcy and uh, some degree of enhanced services that legally, morally and ethically they need and deserve. Well, Superintendent Carvalho, we appreciate greatly your taking time to uh, talk with us and to keep us informed on what you and your uh, staffs are trying to do to respond to this moment uh, to the best benefit of your students. So thanks for coming out and talking with us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.